are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. Amen. I want to turn your attention to the book of Isaiah this morning, a passage I'm sure many of you have heard many times. And I'll be reading verses 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This morning, with the help of the Lord, I want to encourage you from this thought today, don't forget a change of clothes. All right? You can be seated. How many good packers do I have in this second service today? You're a good packer. All day, every day, traveling, moving, you got it. You know what you're doing. How many overpackers? do I have in the house today? Tom, raise your hand a little higher. <laughs> Pastor T is an overpacker. Yes. I'm a pretty good packer. I've had some experience traveling around the world, and I have three girls. So if you're not good at packing, when you have daughters, you better get good at packing real fast. And that has been my experience. And there are times when you are encouraged to have a change of clothes with you, depending on where you're going and maybe what activities you are participating in. When you travel overseas, it's common knowledge that if you have a, a carry-on, that you do well to have an extra set of clothes in case, God forbid, you show up in one country and your suitcase is in another that would be tragic. Yet Sister Burton's nodding her head. She understands these things. Yes. And then as a mom of three fabulous females, when we were doing the, the youth camp circuit, the youth president thing, that was especially challenging because we had all kinds of fun times and casual times and you know, clothes to get dirty, clothes to go to church in. I had a box for all the bows the bow box, because I could not risk all of their ribbons and bows being compromised, smashed in a suitcase. See, you understand, don't you? Yes. We had to protect that investment, and we had a box dedicated to bows. Because I am a mother of girls, and I got good at this packing thing. And so for the most part, I was prepared, you know, as a, as a mom of small children at one point in my life. You have to expect the unexpected, right, Ashley? You, it's Murphy's Law. What shouldn't happen is going to happen at some point. And my girls all suffer with motion sickness as I have my entire life, which is very unfortunate for a preacher's kid that has to get in the car and follow their parents around. 
And so one such time that I was not prepared. I did not have that change of clothes. I usually did. I should have. I knew that. We were on our way to a service in Columbus. And my precious E got very sick in the car. So sick that there was nothing else to do except for Tom to turn the car around, drop us off at home, and turn around and fly to Columbus to preach in a service. It was not a good day for the Ellis family. It was not a good day for precious Emma because her mom failed her, and I was not prepared that day. But life experience teaches us that there are times where it is good to have an option, to have a change of clothes, to be prepared for maybe unforeseen things in your travel experience. And so this morning, we read part of what is referred to as a messianic prophecy. Isaiah speaks in uh, chapter 61 of the Messiah's purpose when he comes. And Luke tells us it is from this particular passage that Jesus reads from in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. It was the custom at the time that they took turns reading from the scroll, and it is no accident that it was the day that it was Jesus' turn to read that he read this amazing prophecy and promise that Isaiah wrote down. And so in Luke chapter 4, verse 21, the good doctor tells us that after reading, Jesus sits down and declares, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus made it known that he was, in fact, the Messiah, that he was the fulfillment of everything that Isaiah saw and believed the Messiah would be. His purpose had been foretold, that he came to bring good news to the poor. He had come to heal those who were brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to those who had been captive. Jesus had come to proclaim the Lord's favor, and he had come to comfort those who mourn in Zion. And I find it very interesting this morning that in this long list of divine assignments that Jesus had, it was this last one, the comforting of those who mourn in Zion, That Isaiah was moved upon by the Spirit to give us the greatest amount of detail. This promise was not given to just any person who mourns, but specifically to the people who mourn in Zion, which for us means the church. Say, that's us. We are Zion. We are God's people. And in these verses, Isaiah was speaking to God's people and they were in captivity. They had experienced loss and devastation as a nation. They were mourning for their beloved home city of Jerusalem. They were weeping for what had been, for the way their lives had drastically changed. They were hurting for their homeland. And hope and help would have seemed elusive to them when Isaiah wrote these words. Their freedom had been taken away by their enemy, Babylon, who had captured them at this time. It was good versus evil. It was light versus darkness. And it appeared at this time in Israel's history that the bad guys were going to win. That they were going to get away with what they had done to the people of God. How could things possibly change at this time? 
They were devastated. How could God allow this to happen? How could his enemies take over and control his chosen people? Isaiah's words were prompted by God to promise hope and a future changed by the power and presence of God in the earth in an unprecedented way. Change would come. Their deliverance was sure. Brokenness would be mended. Liberty would be given to those who were in bondage. The Messiah would right all of the wrongs of their current reality. And for those who wept in mourning for what seemed lost, Isaiah said the Messiah would do three things. That he would give them beauty for ashes, the oil of gladness for mourning, and what I feel to focus on today for us, the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness or a weak spirit. Now, I realize that the things that Isaiah is saying right now do not resonate perfectly with you and I in the context of our culture. But we need to understand this morning the illustrations that Isaiah was using in their original time and place. Because this gives us amazing insight into what it means to us and how truly relevant it is to us in the year 2020. Now, to be sure, Isaiah is speaking in figurative terms, and the message, when understood, still applies. Isaiah speaks of two very different types of dress in this prophecy. The first he refers to as the spirit of heaviness, and the word heaviness here is keha. This word means dim, dull, colorless, to be dark or faint. It refers to the practice of mourners in ancient times. It was the custom of that day that if you were grieving, if you had experienced loss, that your grief was very public. It was demonstrated in how you dressed. It was demonstrated in the way that you conducted yourself. And so a person in mourning in biblical times would wear sackcloth. Now, sackcloth is a coarse, dark cloth made from goat's hair mostly, and it was ugly, as you can see in our picture. It would have also been very uncomfortable to the person wearing it. But the idea was to publicly acknowledge loss and personal devastation. It was done in different ways, but the purpose was the same. And so they would put burnt ashes of wood, as you see the man in the picture doing. They would actually put those ashes on their head. It symbolized their sadness. It symbolized their mourning and their sense of hopelessness. Sackcloth and ashes were worn together as a sign of mourning for personal and national disaster. It would also be a sign of repentance. It would also be a prayer for deliverance. And in the scripture, we find this being done many times. Jacob expressed his grief for Joseph when he assumed him to be dead. Do you remember that story? The Bible lets us know he responded by wearing sackcloth and ashes. King David, Hezekiah, and Daniel also used these cultural expressions in times of loss and fasting. There is a time to weep, King Solomon wrote. 
But God's people, Isaiah wrote, would have an alternative. We have hope this morning. Amen. Do you believe that? Amen. We will mourn. We will go through hard times. But there is another way a child of God can adorn themselves in any circumstance. We do not have to remain in a perpetual state of sadness or despair. Isaiah saw a change of clothes for the people of God in spite of an impossible circumstance. He called it a garment of praise. Now, I know where I am. I grew up in this demonstrative Pentecostal church, and I am so thankful for it. But hear me out for just a moment, because this garment and the way Isaiah takes the time to describe it is very significant for our understanding. The word garment is meta in the Hebrew. It's the only time in the Bible that this word is actually used is here in Isaiah 61. And it means a wrap or a mantle. And this specific Hebrew word would have uh, implied a garment that was very different from sackcloth and ashes. This garment was indicative of a celebration. It would have been beautiful and brightly colored, like the ones they would have worn on a day that was a feast day, or a day of Thanksgiving, or even a wedding. And see the contrast here. The picture provides that Isaiah is trying to communicate to us the idea that this drab, dismal, sad look that they had would be replaced by a piece of clothing that was vibrant and colorful. It made a statement, a public one, of joy replacing sorrow. And as public as their grief was, Isaiah wrote, so their praise would replace the sackcloth and the ashes. This change of wardrobe would be a public declaration of praise. It would be a bold contrast to what their mindset had been. Their change of heart was not to be a secret. The change the Messiah would bring to them would be clearly visible to anyone around them. The power of their praise was not limited to them, but would in fact be visible to those around them. Their praise would not just change them, but it in fact had the potential to impact other people. David wrote in Psalms 34 verses 1 through 5, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes her boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear. Let others hear about that praise and be glad. The praise of my lips can make someone else glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Those who look to the Lord this morning are radiant and their faces are not ashamed. That's us. That's our promise this morning. 
Whatever we focus on, we understand gets magnified in our minds. And I know you've heard this analogy before of praise working like a magnifying glass in the experience of a believer that whatever we focus on becomes bigger in our minds. And so it is when we praise and worship God. It may not be news to some of us, but I came to this pulpit with a very simple, very important assignment today. That there is a change of clothes that you need. There is a change of clothes for you today that Jesus made possible for you to have in any and every circumstance. The Bible makes it abundantly clear to us that praise can help us when we are struggling. We made reference to what Paul taught those superstitious Ephesians and Growth University a couple of weeks ago that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against people or personalities or agendas, but we fight in a spiritual war that is very real and it is very present. And praise can help us in a way that nothing else can because it removes our focus off of what we cannot control and puts our focus on the one who is always in total control. Praising God gets our eyes off of us. It removes our focus from people and things and fear and chaos and confusion and puts our gaze upon Jesus who is the only one who can heal and forgive and deliver and work to make everything work together for good. And so this morning, I humbly ask you, my friends of the Calvary Church, why would we sit in ashes? Why would we succumb to the divisiveness of our enemy who will feed us and does feed us hopelessness and despair as often as he can. Why would you and I, as those who mourn in Zion, as the people of God, settle for anything less than everything that Jesus suffered and died to make available to you and I, no matter what is happening in our lives? Why would we go day to day not walking in the victory that we leave this place with every Sunday that we come. Psalms 30 verses 11 and 12 say, you have turned for me my morning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And this to me is one of the many ways the apostolic church is positioned to lead in this crazy time we're living in. Anybody ever come to the house of God feeling heavy and weighed down by life? And when we start worshiping and exalting the name of Jesus, there is such a freedom. There is such an empowerment that happens. Why? Because it's what Jesus came to give you. That garment of praise for the faint spirit that you walked into this place with. And praising God is a big part of the reason why you walk out of this place feeling differently 
I even would guess looking differently than when you got here. When we praise God, that heaviness has to lift off of us as we change our garments in the presence of the Lord. Because we're reminded that God is bigger than the situation we're facing. He's not just capable of making us feel better, but he's willing, he's waiting, he's wanting to help us in every situation. Because here's the truth this morning. We can fill our days with praise. We take breaks for a lot of things. We take coffee breaks. Anybody here take a coffee break? Look forward to it. Watch the clock for it. Time to take a coffee break. I know you do, Natasha, teaching those preschoolers. My God. God bless Natasha. (laughs) But we take lunch breaks. Lunch is my favorite time of the day. Absolutely. If I can get it to lunch, I will be all right. We take Instagram breaks. We take a moment to distract our minds, to escape. Why can't praise be one of those alternatives for us? Why is praise limited to this place? What is so wrong? Why don't we ever just put on gospel music on the way to work instead of listening to the news? You know what they're going to say. It's bad and it's getting worse. And it's the end of the world as we know it. Okay. So if I know what they're going to say, why don't I just listen to some good old gospel music that reminds me of something else I know, that Jesus is good, that he's with me, that he's victorious, and I'm going to be okay. I told the first service crowd, you know, this, this praise break thing and a jar of peanut butter is how I've gotten through all of this so far. Mm-hmm. Amen. Karen feels it. But I've had times where I say I'm going for a run. And what I mean is I'm going for a praise break. <laughs> Me and Jesus and my Nikes and Hezekiah Walker on my iPod are throwing our hands up in the air around Creekside Meadows and saying, Lord, I trust you and I know that you're in control and I can guarantee you I feel a lot better When I get back to the house, because I've put my focus and my trust back in the Lord where it belongs. Amen. And you may think I'm crazy, and that's fine. We all have our ways of coping. But why not add this to your list? Because it's biblical. David certainly felt that way. He said seven times a day, I will praise you. I don't think I've ever done that, but based on my experience, if I stopped and praised God seven times throughout my day in whatever way you felt was appropriate, I can guarantee you your day would turn out very differently. Amen? So every time we praise God, the result to us is guaranteed. And that's what Isaiah wanted us to know. And so I don't want you to dismiss what I'm saying as some kind of shallow, empty-headed, cure all. I'm not saying walk around with your hands up in the air speaking in tongues like la 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 la, I don't care, I don't hear you. It doesn't matter what's going on, I'm praising Jesus. That's not what I'm suggesting. You don't have to run around your neighborhood like a crazy person like me, okay? Use wisdom. I think you know that. But the truth is we live in a fallen world. We live in a world very different than the one God intended us to live in. And it's no secret 
that we live in a time of unprecedented mental health crisis. Jesus said that in the last days, men's hearts would fail them for fear. And so it does not surprise us that people that we are struggling emotionally and mentally in ways that we've never been challenged quite like this before. But Jesus said in John 16, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. There's that promise again. And today I acknowledge that depression is real, that grief is absolutely necessary in people's lives. We are not exempted from the human condition in all of its experiences as believers. And I am in no way minimizing, minimizing what's going on in the world or, or how you feel inside. But what I am saying is that according to this book, we can find relief from those things in the presence of Almighty God who sees it all, who knows it all, and has it all in his hands. We will not find peace in endless scrolling and consuming of media. We will not find comfort in other people or in man's ways. But we can change our mindset. We have the opportunity to get a different perspective on life and what is happening when we praise and worship God. Isaiah was essentially saying, you can change from funeral clothes to wedding clothes when you praise the God that you serve. Amen. Jesus said in John chapter 10 verse 10, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. We certainly see that in the earth right now. But Jesus said, I have come that you would have life and you would have it more abundantly. One commentator put it like this, I have come to give you a life better than the one that you could create on your own. This morning you are not without help. You are not without hope. For when we praise and worship God, we are reminded of that in a supernatural way. You felt it here this morning in this very service. The shift that happened when people started raising their hands, when they started singing hallelujah to the Lord, we all experienced that change because something happens in us when we praise the Lord. It doesn't mean things change. It doesn't even necessarily mean it alters the outcome, but it changes what is happening in our hearts. And so today we have a choice like many believers before us. And as I hasten to a close, I want to submit to you five different words for praise that the Bible gives us. The word praise is found in the Bible hundreds of times, a variety of different words to convey this idea of praise and worship. These five quickly I want to give to you. The first one is toda. It's mentioned 32 times. And it means praise that is shared in a community. Like what we did this morning. We praised God together. It's what Paul and Silas did in Acts 16 when they were in prison. That they sang praises to God and the prisoners heard them. 
They were impacted, not just through their hearing, but the Bible says the place was shaken and that the prisoners were set free. Why? Because Paul and Silas got their focus back on the Lord and out of their present circumstance. Psalms 100 verse 4 says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. The second one is yada. It's mentioned 114 times. It means to lift your hands to throw, to cast. This made me really excited when I read that one of the tenses of that verb actually implies to throw arrows. Praise is a weapon, and that is not just an expression that we use in church. The Bible lets us know in Psalms 28, verse 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. There's that word, yada, I lift my hands. Number three, barak is mentioned 331 times. It means to bless or to bow. Psalms 145 verse one says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever through praise. We bow in reverence. We give honor to God and glory to God because he alone is worthy. And when we praise, we acknowledge that reality. The fourth one is one that we actually sang this morning, halal. You've probably guessed it's where we get our word hallelujah. That word alone is mentioned 165 times in scripture, that Yah at the end, that's the shortened version of the name for God. And so when we say hallelujah, it's a Hebrew word for praise that just simply means praise God. I had a precious moment with Avery Rose a couple weeks ago when Pastor Perez was preaching to us in Spanish and he was speaking and going to town and all of a sudden he said hallelujah and Avery perked up and said, Kissy, he said hallelujah. And I said, yes, baby, that's the same word, no matter what language you're speaking. Because we can all praise God together. It's what we were created to do. Psalms 111 verse 1 says, praise the Lord. Meaning, halal, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. I'll let you stand with me as I give you the last one is talal. This word is mentioned 57 times. And it means to praise vocally, either in song or in shouts of praise. You praise God with your voice. And this word, talal, is the word Isaiah used when he told us we had a garment of praise. Psalms 147 verse 1 says, praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. I find that word in particular especially compelling to us this morning living in this world right now. You see, there isn't a whole lot that I can tell you I completely understand about the book of Revelation. I don't know about you, but that book stumps me quite a bit. But one thing I do see very clearly communicated to us through John's revelation of Jesus Christ is that singing and worship 
and music are very much a part of the heaven experience. That it is something that is present there all the time. Revelation 4 says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Here these 24 elders are responding in song to what the angels are saying about God. Could this be why corporate praise is such a powerful experience for you and I? For it is a foretaste of what heaven is like. And I would argue this morning, it is the closest that you and I come to experiencing heaven on earth when we come together and we praise God. Singing and worship is part of heaven's culture. It's at the center of heaven's culture. That's what John wants us to know. Because victory is certain there. And so till we get there, we do well to practice for heaven because we know that victory is assured in our lives today and every day. Victory for us is found in our worship. Charles Spurgeon, who many know and a great respected man of God, put it this way. My happiest moments are when I am worshiping God really adoring the Lord Jesus Christ. In that worship, I forget the cares of the church and everything else. To me, it is the nearest approach to what it will be in heaven. Because praise brings the perspective that we need so desperately. Worshiping God puts him in the center of our beings and our consciousness where he belongs Praise puts him in his place in our lives. It puts our focus back on him. It demonstrates our understanding of who God is. It is an expression of the faith that we have in him. It changes our mindset. It changes the perspective that we have about any situation. It brings freedom to others. And this morning, praise is practice for what you and I will experience in heaven someday. Amen. And so if you came today with heaviness in your heart, I think in this last few months, we have definitely felt that heaviness being put on us day after day. And so if that is your experience in these last few months, or maybe today in a very specific way, I 
want to invite you to raise your hands right now with me. And let us just worship and praise God in our own words, your own expression. God, I love you. And I thank you that we have an alternative today according to your word. That when we come with darkness, with faintness, feeling weak in our spirits, all we have to do is choose this change of clothes, Lord, that you have offered to us. That you have promised to take our ashes, Lord, and give us joy and gladness that we have a place in your presence that we can go to feel the warmth and the power of your presence in our lives. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, Thanks for listening.